This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, March 24th. I'm Gavin McGough. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Telluride students pursue higher education remotely. A day in the life of a minor with Finton Cole and eyes to ears with Bella Eatman. Listening Club turns on the television. And a mountain weather forecast. For six or seven years, Taka Kondo had been considering grad school, kicking the decision down the road, and working in the meantime as a guide and a cook in Telluride. Then, in the fall of 2021, he says he felt it was time to make a decision. At, at, a, at a certain point, I thought to myself, I need to like just clear my head of thinking that grad school might be a thing that I do. And I need to decide that I'm going to do it, and or I'm going to decide that I'm not going to do it. And obviously the outcome of me spending some time to really think about that was deciding to go back. At the same time, Kondo knew he was not ready to leave Telluride, and COVID was opening up the possibilities of remote learning. Soon enough, Kondo enrolled in a remote master's program to study mental health counseling. It turns out Kondo was far from alone. Telluride is home to dozens of students enrolled in remote higher ed programs. When student Laura Parsons enrolled in online school, she soon after moved to Telluride from Denver, embracing the freedom to study from anywhere. When I started was the fall of 2020, and as we all know, there was a lot going on then, and so um, it was mandated that everything was remote when I started. At a, about a year into my program, they announced that it would be possible and practical to remain online for the rest of the degree. So that's when I decided that I was going to come out to Telluride. Similar to Kondo, Parsons is studying to enter the mental health field, focusing on social work. The pattern of students here studying to enter the helping professions, as they're known, goes deep. Another student, Robin Kondraki, says it might be more than a simple coincidence. I think we just see a gap, like specifically in Telluride, um, but more broadly in our country. And yeah, I, you know, working at SMRC, I would refer clients to therapists and clients would come to me and let me know that the therapist had a six-week wait list and that sucks. Taking a break from a shift at the counterculture kitchen in Lawson, Kondo adds that Telluride's connection to the service industry attracts highly social and people-focused residents. So I think a lot of just like the people that come to work here are people's people. If they're not getting jobs that are where they can hide behind a desk. Um, and there's certainly plenty of people in Telluride that are working desk jobs, and that's fine too. But there's so many people that are working in service. And I think that skill set of taking the want to work with people, taking that from outside the context of the service industry to working with people and working in a helping profession. Working in service is a distinct part of the student experience. Hunter Emmons, who has worked various restaurant and serving jobs for years, says when she enrolled in remote school, it brought new perspective to jobs that she'd held for years. It puts things into perspective for me a little bit. I am grateful to live in a place where I can work three or four days a week and that can help me pay for most of my expenses. Parsons, talking on the Oak Street Plaza before clocking into a shift as a bartender in town, says there's a distinct connection between her work and her schooling. Being in the service industry, especially as a bartender, you talk to people a lot. Um, you kind of have to nav- be able to navigate whenever situations arise and 
So there's been a lot of situations where you really have to maintain your calm while trying to calm down someone else who might be belligerent, might be having a mental health crisis. I think there's a lot higher expectations in social work and it's helped me keep my cool a lot better when working. All of the students spoke of sacrifices, spending less time on hobbies or sport, struggling to balance work and life and finances and studies. Of being in school remotely, Kondraki says, It requires an amount of self-discipline that I did not know I had uh, to like bring yourself to get all your work done and meet all your deadlines and facilitate group projects. Like All of that is made so much more challenging on a remote program. For these Telluridians, school is a process, part of a journey, one which is full of questions which only the future will answer. Emmons reflects she's on one track now, but still feels there are many ways to serve this community. It's totally fine if <laughs> you don't go to school. I, I feel like I also wonder if there's other ways that I could be going towards the same goals. It's just kind of what landed in my lap and made sense at that time. As to the world beyond graduation, many students said they'd like to stay in Telluride, finding ways to give back and practice what they've learned. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. Girls Soccer is in the beginning stages of its season. In this installment of A Day in the Life of a Minor, Telluride High School's Finton Cole chats with soccer coach Ramon Rodriguez. This is Fintan Cole under sports update. We have the girls' soccer coach, Mr. Rodriguez, with some soccer updates. Mr. Rod, how is the team doing this year? Um, we're looking really good, Fintan, this year. Um, we got 30-plus girls that came out this year, so we have two full teams, and we're just waiting for this snow to stop so we can start playing. What would you like to see from your team in future games? Um, right now we've been practicing inside of a gym, so what we would like to see is how it looks on the big field so I think with just more time on on the big field we'll get more experience and and see what we can really do. From the 4 nothing shutout versus Denver Christian going into games against Crested Butte and Delta what weak spots will we fix for the girls? Um, well like I said that was our third game on a real field that field's really big I think we played them really well to start off um, but then you know we Ran out, of, ran out of gas a little bit just because we haven't been outside on a field. So I think we're going to be there. I just think we need to just get our legs under us. This season's just starting, so we have a lot of games to play. Thank you for the time to chat with us, Mr. Rod. I'm Fantan Cole reporting live from Tebad High School, and we'll see you next week. This week on Eyes to Ears, Telluride High School's Bella Eatman talks with one local artist about her artistic process. Have a listen. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Kodo segment known as Eyes to Ears. I am your host, Bella Eatman, and today we are going to interview an artist I had mentioned last time when we talked of her painting known as The Spruce and the Aspen. Yes, local listeners, this is Meredith Nemirov. Hi, everybody. Nice to be here with you, Bella. Oh, I, I am, I am, I'm very excited to uh, to do uh, to do this interview. Last last interview was in, was 
fantastic. So I'm thinking that this is going to be the same. Anyway, here's my first question. Do you do you believe that high quality paint a high quality painting should be made from high quality paints? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yes, I do. Except when you're starting to paint, I think you should use whatever you can afford or have on hand and just paint, paint, paint. But as you get um, more money and more experience, it's good to use better paints because they have more pigment in them. I, I, I can totally see how, the, how that would make sense. Um, I've... <sighs> I, right now, I kind of only use Crayola for most of uh, most of my arts, and, and just collect how many how many colors that I have. But anyway, do you often paint your pieces whenever the feeling strikes, or do you get recommended areas by, uh, to paint by other people? I always have some ideas in my head that I'm trying to figure out to paint. You know, things I'm thinking about. Sometimes I'll look at other artists' work and they'll give me like an idea of something to paint. Or sometimes I'll just look out the window and paint something. Yeah, <laughs> since I'm a landscape painter. Oh, that, 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 that's, that's wonderful, uh, wonderful here. And, it, and it, kind of, it kind of fits with the, with the paintings I've seen you do. Um, but do you only paint or do you practice in a lot of different art forms, visual or otherwise? I do only two-dimensional work, but I use a lot of different mediums. I draw, I do charcoal, um, but I, I've never really done too many three-dimensional pieces. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm no sculpt, uh, sculptor myself as well, so you, and you, it's, it's fine. But um, what is a piece that you've been most proud of as of, as of recent? Oh, that's a good question. It's not a piece, but it's a series of pieces that I worked on for two years during the COVID pandemic. And um, I started working on old topographical maps. You might've seen them at the Mix Gallery. And um, that whole series was just very important to me. It was a topic close to my heart and um, trees and rivers and maps. And so every piece was uh, different, a challenge, because I started with a map that was made a hundred years ago. So I oh, actually felt like I was collaborating with the person that made the map and collaborating with their image. So each one was different. It was really exciting for me. That, that's, that does sound really exciting. I, I, I love the idea of, I mean, 2020 was hard for all of us, I'm sure, but it was still a time for all of us to also expand our horizons and and for you it it, ca it caused this entire uh, entire series of pieces that you are now more, uh, most uh, most proud of and I, I i enjoyed those pieces as well but uh, but anyway do you feel proud of how far you've come i just want to comment on what you just said bella when you said it was a time to expand our horizons. And most people think expand is going out into the world and, you know, traveling or something else. And we couldn't do that during COVID. But you can expand your horizons internally, you know, interiorly, reading and painting and things like that. So you're right. But anyway, proud of where I've been. Yes. At my age, I'm so, I feel very fortunate it's, it hasn't been easy being an artist my whole life, my entire life, but it's been quite a 
journey. It's been really, it's been so stimulating and challenging and very gratifying. Oh man, I I I I love to hear that. I've been, I I, I don't know. I'm planning on being uh, being an artist myself later on and uh, later on in the years, and I do recognize that it's going uh, that it is going to be hard. But I, I, from what I've heard, heard from you and and from Molly, it seems like it's still going to be worth it to follow the uh, follow that sort of passion. But anyway, I those are all the questions I have for now. Thank you, Meredith, for uh, for coming along and uh, <laughs> answer answering my silly questions. Oh, they're great, and thank you for asking me. Oh, the, it's it's been a pl- pleasure here as as well. I and anyway, this has been eyes to ears on Kodo. I have now uh, now interviewed Meredith Nemirov. You can see her paintings over by the Mix Art Gallery. My name is Bella Eatman, and I hope that you, the listeners, have a wonderful rest of your day. This Monday, the Wilkinson Public Library holds its monthly listening club. It's like a book club, but for albums. Chip Schilling will lead the March Club with his work of choice, television's 1977 album, Marquee Moon. KOTO News spoke with Schilling about his selection. The guitar sound there, like it's a dual guitar album, and at that time, you know, punk and new wave was trying to get away from the bludgeoning of hard rock, and they really did something different with the way they stripped down their songs and play them and the interplay of the guitars off of one another. And then another thing that was interesting that the title track from this album, Marquee Moon is 10 minutes and 40 seconds, which, you know, for a punk song or new wave song, that's a pretty long song. And um, I mean, it was akin to more jam rock, like, you know, you hear it heard, heard with rock. So that was something that really caught my attention. didn't sell well so it you know I didn't hear about it until probably five years after it came out but um, it was part of that whole New York punk new wave scene in 1977. You can hear in it the influence that they had on bands that came after so um, I mean you can hear that in the Pixies um, you can hear it in Sonic Youth I even read a review that it was, you can hear it in U2. 
Um, but there was something like really fresh about and exciting about that period of my life in, in the 70s that um, you hear in that music. And then in the 90s and 2000s, I mean, in a band like Modest Mouse, you can kind of hear that same fresh, energized, unique sound and spirit that um, makes me think back to televisions. In 1977, I was 15, and prior to that, you know, it was all hard rock, you know, Led Zeppelin, Stones, you know, whatever, and then Southern Rock. And then in 77, I heard Elvis Costello for the first time, and it really changed my, and the Talking Heads, and really changed my way of thinking about it. And then that led to listening to Patti Smith, and Patti Smith and television were somewhat related in that same period of time. Um, and so, I don't know, it just caught my attention. And when I finally listened to the whole album, I realized how really great it, it is. One critic said that he described it as, um, it's a needling rather than a bludgeoning of sound. And I thought, wow, that's perfect. And you can hear it from the very opening track. Tom Verlaine took his, his name from the French symbolist poet, Paul Verlaine. And so that was kind of interesting to me, being a book person and my um, and interested in poetry and whatnot. And so the, in looking up symbolist poetry, um, the symbolists hope to evoke rather than describe. And, and that is exactly what Tom Verlaine does with the lyrics in, in in that record and there's like little nuggets of lines that are just like really great i mean they just you know they just either put a smile to your face or really make you think and and that's cool um at the same time it's that kind of songwriting where it's about everything and nothing all at the same time and you know it's um so there's little things little lines that but you can that you can hang on to that kind of stick in your head and that's always good. <laughs> Chip Schilling will lead the March Listening Club on Marquee Moon on Monday, March 27th from 6 to 7 p.m. at the Telluride Music Company. More information is available at telluridelibrary.org. One in five people in Colorado experience mental health issues. Tri-County Health Network is working to ensure members of the community have the resources to support each other. Next week, Tri-County is hosting a mental health first aid course to give individuals the resources 
to respond if someone comes to them needing mental health support. The virtual course will take place on Zoom on Tuesday, March 28th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. with an hour break for lunch. Registration is required and available at tchnetwork.org. The race is on, and it's not just for speed, it's also for style. It has to be time for the Cardboard Sled Derby, an annual day of fun and fundraising for Telluride's one-to-one mentoring program. Kicking off on Saturday, March 25th at 10.30 a.m., with check-in beginning at 9, the race showcases homemade, hand-decorated sleds competing for both speed and creativity as they careen down the Nastar slope below Lift 4. The event takes place each year as the ski season winds to a close. Pre-registration is required and can be completed on One to One's website. The event features lunch for all participating teams, so really, everyone's a winner. Hundreds of Denver high schoolers descended on the state capitol on Thursday in response to this week's shooting at East High School. Students staged a sit-in, calling on lawmakers to pass all five gun control measures they're currently debating. On Friday, thousands of students, parents, and teachers held a rally on the steps of the state capitol to demand lawmakers take action on gun violence. East High School students also marched on the capitol in February after one of their classmates was killed by gunfire outside of the school. KOTO's Lucas Brady-Woods reports Senate President Steve Fenberg is promising results. Students flooded into galleries overlooking the Senate and House for the second time this session. They also met with lawmakers to demand they pass the gun control bills they're currently debating. About a dozen of them met with Senate President Steve Fenberg, who assured them the measures would be signed into law before the session is over. But he also says there's more work that needs to be done. We can't think of this as one session. We can't think of this as one election. It has to be a plan for the next five or ten years. Like in five, ten years, where do we want to be? The only measure Fenberg isn't confident about passing this year is a bill that would ban assault weapons. As for next year, he says he'd like to bring forward a measure to address hard-to-track ghost guns. He also discussed future efforts to develop and require licenses for gun stores. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods at the State Capitol. A group of Congress members is convening a new caucus to discuss the Colorado River. Six of the seven states that use its water are part of the group. Congressman Joe Nagoose, a Democrat from Colorado, says Congress can play a part, but should ultimately leave decision-making to state leaders. Our role is to help support the efforts uh, of all of those in the West who care about mitigating the impacts of drought. That means advocating at the federal level for additional funding for water conservation projects. Nagu says water issues in the West will require, quote, Herculean investment. The new caucus joins a similar group formed in the Senate. The Congressional Caucus plans to convene in the coming weeks. In the Navajo Nation and surrounding areas, health professionals from National Jewish Health in Denver are working with local hospitals and clinics to test retired coal miners for black lung disease. 
For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KSJD's Chris Clements has more. Cecile Rose, a pulmonologist and environmental medicine physician at National Jewish Health, says that black lung, otherwise known as co-workers pneumoconiosis, is present among retired miners living in towns like Page, Arizona, and Montrose, Colorado. She says workers at mines like the now-defunct Black Mesa Mine in Kayenta, Arizona, face an uphill battle to receive treatment for their illnesses, in part because of how spread out those who need care are. Honestly, um, to be able to do it well, to get good quality x-rays and, you know, for us to be able to fly in and such, you know, we are not going out to the the communities themselves, right? Um, where the Donahoe people you know, live and work, they're, 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 they can be very, very distant. A meeting on black lung disease held by retired coal miners from the Navajo mine will take place in Farmington, New Mexico on April 7th. For KSJD, I'm Chris Clements. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for snow showers tonight with a low around zero and wind chill values as low as negative 10. Three to five inches of snow accumulation is possible. Saturday calls for partly sunny skies with a high near 20 degrees and wind chill values as low as negative 15. Saturday night should be mostly cloudy with a low around zero and wind chill values as low as negative 10. Sunday calls for partly sunny skies during the day and mostly cloudy skies at night. The high is in the mid-20s with a low around 5 degrees. This has been the news for Friday, March 24th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. We would like to thank everyone who donated to Kodo during our winter fun drive. A huge thank you to Tim Fitzpatrick, John Gowdy, Sharon Grundy, Anthony Cavanaugh, Jackie and Charles Keokuk, Rick Kessenheimer, Phil Gatchison, Bridget Schuler, Betsy Kessler, Marky Knopp, Matt Sheehan, Kyle Kohler, Albert Royer, Heather Liu, Gus Gasiora, Pam and Stu McCready, Jennifer Morgan, Greg Roby, Heidi Sarazen, Nancy Landau, Chris Ann Schworn, Karen Schaff and Steve Jane, Alfredo Lopez, Geneva and Laura Shawnette, Jane Shivers, Mark Thomas, and James Van Hoosier. Thank you all so much. Now, a personal commentary. Hey, Joel. I'm really excited to be co-leading this Peace and Passion Workshop with you on Sunday, March 26th in the Wilkinson Public Library in the Telluride Room from 3 to 4.30. It's exciting to be introducing the Sedona Method of Releasing to the community. How are you feeling about it? You know, Kim, I'm really excited and a little bit nervous, and that's okay, because that's what it takes sometimes when you pursue your passion. You get a little bit nervous because you're doing things that you haven't done before, and the Sedona Method is such a beautiful tool to just let you release whatever's in the way of whatever might be holding you back in life, and uh, I, I found such benefit with it. I know you have so many other people around the world who found such great benefit with it, and so I'm definitely looking forward to this. Um, and we were having a really interesting conversation about peace and passion, Kim. Remind me again what that was that you were talking about? Yeah, it's just that, you know, in this region, we're drawn to live here 
because it's a perfect environment for us to live our passion, to live passionately, right? And that can bring us some peace. But sometimes peace and passion don't always go together. And when they don't appear to, we can use Sedona method releasing techniques and then the two do come together again. They're simple, easy to learn techniques that help us tap into our natural already present ability to let go so that we can be with ease with both peace and passion in our lives. That's right, because sometimes in the pursuit of your passion, you don't always feel so peaceful. It feels crunchy, it feels stressful because you wanted to go on this big trip and you didn't get the sponsorships or you were go sending it off a cliff and you got injured or you were knitting and you poked yourself and you ran out of yarn and you really wanted to do this thing, but now your thumb's in a bandage and you know you don't have the right materials on hand and they're out of stock due to COVID delays. Anyways, point being, you guys understand, sometimes you get frustrated and angry and that's okay because that's natural and that's part of our growing process. And the Sedona method allows us to deal with all of that reactivity, all that so-called negativity so we can release it and get back to what we actually like doing. So this is the essence of why we're doing what we're doing. So we both love it. We're passionate people. And um, we would love for you to be there to learn about this. The Sedona Method, Peace and Passion, the T Telluride Room in the Wilkinson Library, Sunday, March 26, 3 to 4.30 p.m., be there. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you'd like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues. <laughs>